0: Thank you for the, that that story, and it represents the fact that when you talk about, you know, marriage and family and kids and grandkids, this represents the, the people in our lives that are most close and dear to us, and uh, so we just uh, we share that as a uh, as a, a, a stark reminder of how closely these are held in our hearts, and so. We praise God, and uh, today we're going to talk about um, about parenting and about uh, generational faith. Uh, next Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, is the end of our Romans series, and so we're going to put a bow on that and just look back on all the things that uh, we've learned. And I'm looking forward to that message as well. So we we'll hope to see you again next week. Today's message is entitled "Ripple." Okay, Ripple, the Rock that makes the ripple. Waves. A ripple is a wave. Waves and wavology is a whole, like, science as uh, we study airwaves and, and sound waves and, and light waves and, uh, you know, water waves and lots of waves out there. Uh, perhaps you've heard of the butterfly effect. Okay, this is a theory Uh, debatable theory, but this is how it goes, that uh, the, 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 the butterfly wings in like Australia or somewhere create a series of very small waves that eventually become something very powerful on the other side of the world, like a tornado or a hurricane. It's called the butterfly effect. I don't know if it's true or not, but it conceptually and spiritually communicates the truth that I want to talk with you about today that there, is, uh, there are small things or apparently small things and everyday things that create waves that over time can have a tremendous impact and a tremendous effect. And my point today is that the impact of a godly mother or a godly father or a godly grandmother or a godly grandfather is a kind of spiritual ripple whose effect is generational, multi-generational. It spreads and it influences far beyond the immediate sphere that that we can see. And so my point today, I mean to be an encouragement and a challenge, okay, there's some challenge in here, but definitely an encouragement to mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers. Don't underestimate the impact of your life and your faith on your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, uh, and forward. Indeed, these ripples, truly, these are ripples that ripple into eternity. So, I'm gonna get there by one uh, example that we have in Romans. And we were in chapter 16 a few weeks ago and, and uh, kinda reading through all these names, and I wanna go back to one name and tell his story. And here is his name, this is Romans 16, verse 21. Paul writes this, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may be like, okay, Timothy, I'm familiar, why do I know that name? And one way you know that name is that there are two books of the Bible named after this Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And Timothy was indeed a very famous leader in the early church for reasons that I'm going to, uh, to get into. But what I want you to realize is that Timothy's life and ministry created ripples that come all the way down to today and indeed will go on into eternity. So rather than start at the beginning of Timothy's life, I'd like to start at the end of Timothy's life. So who was Timothy not when he was little, but when he was big? And the first thing, and probably the, the thing that Timothy is most known for, is that Timothy was the Apostle Paul's right-hand guy, his protege. In a sanctified way, we would call Timothy the Apostle Paul's fixer, okay? So there'd be a problem uh, somewhere, and the Apostle Paul would say, okay, you go to that church, and you straighten them up. You get them going in the right direction. You name the right leaders there, and, uh, and you fix that thing there. And Paul did this because over time, he had come to trust Timothy. I mean, he had absolute trust in Timothy. He would send him into the worst situations. And he not only trusted Timothy, he loved Timothy. He refers to him as his faithful child and his true child in the faith. And we see with Paul and Timothy, there's, there's a, a deep mutual respect that they have for each other. I've been blessed in my own story to have a few uh, Pauls in my life. Uh, men who, for whatever reason, looked at me and saw Timothy and invested in me and trusted me. This, uh, this last Monday, I attended the funeral of one of those men. Down in Marion, Indiana, uh, Dr. Wilbur Williams, who to me is a towering giant of the faith, and for whatever reason, he took a liking to me and gave me personal time and attention. And um, I don't feel worthy of that, but I'm honored to say Dr. Williams to me was, was, was a Paul. I've had a few others like that in my life. What a blessing. They are the rock, in the analogy, and I'm the ripple. Okay, they created the, 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 the ripple, and I'm, I am merely the effect of that. So Paul, Timothy, Lone Ranger, are you with me, Balcony? I heard nothing from you, by the way. <laughs> and there's more of you up there than down here, so I expect better. Batman. I debated putting this one in. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to go for it. Michael Jordan. Okay. Oh, now you're with me. Okay. <laughs> know your audience. Okay. So that was Paul and Timothy. Paul was the rock. Timothy was, was the ripple. The second thing about Timothy, and this is related, is that Timothy was a very significant leader in the early church. If you read through the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church, Timothy's name's in there a lot. You read through the letters, his name pops up often. You know, you get to First and 2 Timothy, they're named after him, letters that were written to Timothy. But as an example, so you have in, in the, the early church, the churches in Macedonia. These were uh, poor churches, but they were very generous churches, if you know about Macedonian generosity. Uh, But they were facing tremendous persecution. The Apostle Paul, he can't go. He's got other things going on. Who should I send to make sure that the Macedonian church keeps their eyes on Jesus during this persecution? He sent Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of the church at Ephesus. You say, oh, that's, I mean, no big deal. Wait, first pastor at Ephesus, Paul. Here's another name that pastored at Ephesus, John. How would you like to follow? <laughs> Talk about big f- shoes to fill. Uh, you know, you go into the church, and there's the picture of the pastors. We don't have that here. I think we should, but, um, you know, here's the, the, the past pastors of the church, and, you know, there's Paul, there's John, and then there's the spot they're gonna put your picture up as the next pastor. Like, who agrees to that? Well, Timothy did. He was with Paul when Paul went back to uh, Jerusalem and uh, brought that gift uh, to the Jerusalem church. He was arrested, and if you know the story of Paul, he's arrested, then he's sent to Caesarea. He's under, you know, he's under, in prison for two years. Timothy was with him during that. In the words of a very famous musical, he was in the room where it happened. That was Timothy. Timothy. Uh, Not an apostle, okay? We don't view Timothy as an apostle, but we view him in that next tier out of really important leaders in the early church. Again, two books of the Bible are written to him and dedicated to him. And here is a wonderful summary of the guy, Timothy, and his character. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians 2 about him. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I may too be cheered by news of you For I have no one else like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all, talking about others, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Here you have the Apostle Paul saying, the best leader that I know, the best guy that I know and he doesn't, you know, it's not, uh, you know, Andrew, Bartholomew, go through the list of the apostles, Peter, he says, I have nobody like Timothy. Nobody that puts at the first of his priorities the, the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the guy that Timothy was. Now, before we idealize Timothy, we also have to recognize there are some faults that we find in Timothy, uh, one is that he seemed to have been kind of a timid personality. You know, we tend to look view all these, they were all lions, you know. Timothy, he had a more timid personality. He had physical problems. So Paul encourages him to uh, mix a little wine with his water for the sake of his stomach. Okay, that's like first century Pepto-Bismol uh, advice there. And he was also looked down on because he was young. And he seemed to have a little bit of a, like inferiority complex about about how young he was, and, and Paul says, don't let him look down on your, on your youth. And I will tell you, I derived in my early days as a pastor inspiration from Timothy, who was a young pastor, and I was a young pastor. In fact, uh, I remember, uh, this is many years ago, I think I was, I was roughly 30 years old, I was a senior pastor of this church, I attended the funeral of a family in our church, and at the, at the funeral home, standing around before or after the service, was uh, 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 this guy from our church, and there was a group of pastors and their wives, other pastors, other churches, and their wives standing there, and he wanted to introduce me to them, so he drags me over and he says, hey everybody, I wanna introduce you to our new pastor of our church. This is Steve DeWitt. And they all looked at me at the same time, and I remember this one sort of rather tall pastor's wife. She looked at me, she looked me up and down, and she said, youth pastor, right? And he said, no, senior pastor. And I'll never forget the look on her face and the way she said it. She looked back at me and she literally went, ew. <laughs> so those kinds of experiences and others, young pastors, we, we love Timothy. Don't let them look down on you because you are, you are young. And indeed he didn't. And he goes down as one of the great leaders in the early church. Okay, so that's Timothy. That's kind of after the ripple has kind of gone out a ways. Let's ask the question, how did Timothy become Timothy? How did he become this kind of a major player in the story of the church? And I think we could accurately say, well, Paul made Timothy, Timothy. We could also accurately say that the gospel and the Holy Spirit made Timothy, Timothy. But if we go back in the story of Timothy, we actually discover that Paul was not the rock that made the ripple. That Timothy's story is a little different. Here is 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Paul writing to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Well, well, well. We come to find out that Timothy had a mom, and her name was Eunice, and Eunice had a mom, Timothy's grandmother, and her name was Lois. And Paul says, the saving faith that I am convinced I see in you, Timothy, is faith that before it was your faith, dwelt in your mother and dwelt in your grandmother. Now you might say, well, what about dad here? Well, here's what we know about Timothy's dad. He was a Greek. He is basically never mentioned in the story. And he uh, is presumably not a Christian. His, His mom was a Jew and his grandmother was a Jew. And uh, so I, I, I mention this because you might be here today and maybe in your story, your parents or maybe your spouse is not a Christian. And you might think to yourself, well, what, you know, what can possibly happen here? What good can come of this? Notice that Timothy comes from a, a home where mom is a believer and dad is not. I share that for your encouragement Because your kids can still rock the world for Jesus. And Timothy certainly did that. Okay, so his mom and his grandmother, they are Jewish. He says here, your faith was in them first. And there's debate, what does he mean by that? Like, were Lois and Eunice, were these like Old Testament believers? Like Moses and Abraham, who, you know, they they were uh, sort of messianically uh, uh, anticipating saved Jews from the Old Testament? Maybe. But most likely what this is, is that when Paul went to Lystra, so if Timothy was from Lystra, he shares the gospel. Eunice and Lois, who are deep in the scriptures, they're faithful Jews, Old Testament Jews, they hear the gospel and they respond. And they become saved. And they, you know, baptize and join the church. And then sometime after that, Timothy did. We don't know how long it is, but here's what we know that Timothy comes from a godly heritage. He comes from a spiritual home. He came from a Jewish home that was anticipating the Messiah. And so that heritage went from grandma to mom, and from mom to Timothy. What sort of heritage are we talking about here? Well, Paul colors this in here. Here's 2 Timothy 3. He writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood, notice, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's code for the Old Testament scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So now we're coming to find out that Timothy grows up in the home of, a, of Eunice and Lois, and in that home, growing up, he was learning the scriptures. And we know that uh, to this day, that uh, practicing Jew and a Jewish family, they memorize huge portions of, of the Torah of the, and, and of the Old Testament, and this was... You know, this was this was Timothy. Timothy would have dominated Awana, for example, which is our ministry memorizing for memorizing uh, scripture for children. He learned the Bible because he grew up in a home that valued that. I'm guessing he didn't spend a lot of time on video games in order to accomplish that. He, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't know every trick of, of a particular game. Rather, he knew the Bible. I drop that in as an encouragement by the way, of what actually is important for children to know. Who was teaching him? Was it his Greek unbelieving father? No, hardly. It was mom and it was grandma. There they are faithfully, praise God for Lois and Eunice, and the Loises and the Eunices, who are similarly seeking to raise their children to know the Bible and to know the God of the Bible. And what Paul does here is he highlights this rich sort of soil that he had in his heart, this this heritage that Timothy had. And so because he knew the Bible and because of the kind of culture of the home that he grew up in, when the gospel was taught to him, he responded in faith, okay? He believed the same faith in Jesus that his mom had, and the same faith in Jesus that grandma had, he quickly trusted and, uh, and believed. And as a quick side note, parents, this is really what we are striving for, is we want to create a kind of spiritual understanding and a kind of spiritual awareness, a soil in the hearts of our children, so that when that gospel seed lands in their in that soil, there is fertile spiritual ground for it to take root and for it to to grow. Now I wanna make it clear, friends, that none of us are saved by mom. None of us are saved by mom's faith or grandma's faith or grandpa's faith or dad's faith. Salvation is a personal trust and belief in Jesus and we can't save our kids, okay? We cannot save our kids. And there is no guarantee when it comes to this. I have seen some of the godliest moms that that I have ever known and their children sometimes prodigal. Their children sometimes do not believe. So there is no like guarantee, you know, A plus B equals children go into heaven. It just does not work that way. But what we do see is that generally speaking, the faith example of the Christian parents strongly influence the faith decisions of the children. Now, I'm gonna do a poll right now, okay? And I'm gonna ask some of you to stand, so just get ready, okay? And you online, you're not gonna be able to see this, and, and you don't need to stand wherever you are because we can't see you. Uh, but just, let's just do a poll here in the service right now. If you come from a home where you heard the gospel, and in your heart you would say that your parents spiritually influenced you towards what is now your own personal faith and trust in Jesus, okay? If you would say, broadly speaking, that's me, would you stand right now, okay? So let's just take a quick poll. How many people influenced? Okay. Look around here. I think I can say the majority of people that are standing right now, or are standing right now, okay? Praise God for a godly heritage, amen, standing people? Okay, all right. Now you may be seated. Thank you for that. And all the studies show that. In fact, I think you can say that we're gonna get to heaven and you know, if there's ever kind of a chart of the most effective missionaries, We're going to find out that the most effective missionaries in the entire story of the church are Christian parents, and I'm going to say specifically Christian mothers, who prayed for, taught, nurtured, and encouraged their children to trust in Jesus as their Savior. And so not only are the most wonderful missionaries in the history of the church Christian mothers, we also would say the most pressing mission field of all is the eternal souls of our children. What more could we want as parents than for our children to know the Lord and to spend eternity with them? We realize here that the stakes are incredibly high. Every human being, the incredible privilege of being made in the image of God. And that privilege brings responsibility. And the responsibility is is that we are accountable to God for the moral decisions of our life. And what have we learned in Romans? That that, uh, those decisions are constantly falling short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. And that this means that there is no... Uh, natural saving of myself. This is why Jesus came into the world. He was sent by God to restore us to, to God. And that Jesus' death on the cross paid the price that we could never pay. And paid the price for our guilt. And so by trusting in Jesus, whether you're a child or a senior citizen, it doesn't matter, salvation comes to us by faith. It is not an act that we do, it is not our works, it's not even having Christian parents. It is a personal faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And when we trust in him, God restores us to himself, and we are made righteous before God, and God promises to treat us as righteous forever. And again, I think we're gonna get to heaven and find out that the main way that this happened for the majority of the people is going to be parents who nurtured this faith in their children. This is my own personal story. How how did I become a Christian? I became a Christian because God chose me before the time began. I became a Christian because the Holy Spirit uh, appropriated the work of redemption into my heart and granted me the gift of faith. I became a Christian because I'm in union with Jesus forever. I could point to the love of God, the sacrifice of Christ, the cross and the resurrection. I could point to all these things, but humanly speaking, the way that I became a Christian was I grew up in a home of Christians who nurtured this same kind of culture and faith in the home, and I responded to it and trusted in Jesus as my own personal savior. This is the deepest desire that I have in the story of my daughters. And this was Timothy's story. And this is the hope for story for every family that dedicated children this morning. That's what they want more than anything. Now, what does a ripple look like? Okay, what does a gospel ripple look like? We know what water ripples look like. Okay, what does a gospel ripple look like? Look like, and we go back to the story of Timothy. And as we have seen, it started with Eunice, and then, or wait, it started with Lois, and then Eunice. Got to keep these names straight. Uh, so Lois, Eunice, Timothy. But from Timothy, literally, the ripple is to thousands, perhaps millions, of people that have been influenced, in small part at least, by the life and the ministry of Timothy. I mean, his spiritual character, the Apostle Paul is drawn to him and because of that connection, literally his ministry goes on to this day. I mean, remember, there are two letters that are included in Scripture Called First and Second Timothy. How many people have been impacted by First and Second Timothy? Do you realize First and Second Timothy is arguably the clearest description in the Bible of what a church looks like and what it's supposed to do, and what church leadership looks like and what what they're supposed to do. And that's the letter to Timothy. Timothy is praised. Lois and Eunice are merely mentioned. Now think of this with me here. What is it like? in heaven? How does God account for and reward in, in heaven? Does God connect the dots between Eunice and Lois and Timothy and like millions of people who've been impacted by, by that? I think that he does, okay? I think that he does. That ripple ripples into eternity. And this is the privilege of being a parent. We have no idea the impact that our children and their lives and the spiritual character and the investment that we make in them will have forever. And since they are a ripple, one faithful, praying, humble, Christ-loving, God-glorifying mom can be the rock that makes the ripple. And you can literally change the whole story of your family tree. From you on. Now, we don't get to live long enough to see what that means, but a Christian mother faithfully living out her faith can, I'm not guaranteeing it, the Bible doesn't, but can make a ripple that reverberates in eternity. Not just your kids, not just your grandkids, not just your great grandkids. But all those onward. Here's what Paul Tripp says about this. Therefore, about being a mother. Because what happens is, you know, we talk about this, and it sounds sort of grand. But uh, you know, a lot of a lot of you mothers are going to go home today, and even on Mother's Day, you're going to be like, ah, oh, another day of this, that, and the other. It's easy to lose sight of the big picture, isn't it? And this is what Paul Tripp says. These are not years merely to be survived. They are to be approached with a sense of hope and a sense of mission. Almost every day brings a new opportunity to invest in the life of your child, help, hope, and truth. All must be seen as something more than hassles that get in the way of an otherwise enjoyable life. To think that what literally hangs in the balance, humanly speaking, in the day-to-day of life is this ripple and the challenges uh, can can minimize our understanding of what is actually at stake. Now, again, the balance here, I don't want you to leave here and think, oh, I've gotta save my kids, because nobody saves their kids. Nobody saves their kids. God is the one who does the saving, amen? Okay? And we have to, this is the balance here now, okay? So I don't want you to leave here and going, I gotta be perfect so my kids go to heaven. No. God does the saving. Let's not be God to our kids. You're not their Jesus. You're not their Holy Spirit. There is only one Jesus and one Holy Spirit, and it's it's not us. But at the same time, we should do all that we can to nurture spiritual understanding in our children so that the soil of their hearts respond to the seed of the gospel, So how do we do this? How do we make holy ripples? I've got some suggestions here, okay? Number one is to pray, and then when you're done praying, pray some more, and then when you're done with that second kind of praying some more, then, then pray some more. Pray for your children. I think it's easy for us to focus on the more immediate things, like we want them to be you know, socially adept. We want them to have a good GPA in school. We wanna see some success in an extracurricular activity. You know, we want, we want them to make us look good on social media. We want this, that, and the other, and we can focus on those things, but you don't want your kids to grow up and think that the most important thing to you is their GPA because there's a lot of 4.0s in hell. You want your kids to think that you care about these other things for sure, but that the most important thing to you is their spiritual life and their relationship with God. And boy, praying, praying gets us there. Pray for their spiritual state. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their life to be lived to the glory of God. When I pray for my daughters, I pray these things. I pray for their future husbands, whoever they are, wherever they may be. You know, God, if that's what God wants for them, I don't know. Uh, if, if, If they have children, I pray for a godly heritage through them. Is there any danger of praying too much for our kids? You can pray too little. In fact, Erwin Lutzer says, Not praying for your kids is a sin. You can pray too little, but there's no way to pray too much. Pray, pray, pray. Secondly, give them an example to follow. Okay? Give them an example to follow. And this doesn't mean that you know how to hunt or you know, clean the toilet or something. We're talking about spiritually give them an example. How are your kids going to know? what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. How are they gonna know that? You might say, well, Pastor Steve, that's your job. I'm not, I don't spend time with your kids enough to, to create that for them, and there's misunderstanding about it anyway. There, a few weeks ago, I had a mom that told me that uh, she had a, a young son, I don't know, three, or four years old, who talked to me in the comments, and when he was done talking to me, he went over to her and said, "Mom." I just talk to God. (laughs) Now, I appreciate you elevating me in their eyes, but that's a little too high, okay? (laughs) How are they gonna know what it means to to follow Jesus? They're gonna get that idea by watching you every day as you live your life. They're not gonna get it from their friends. They're not gonna get it from society. It's much better if they get it from mom and dad. And this doesn't mean that tonight you go home and start reading Calvin's Institutes or something. It is the slow drip over time, more caught than taught as they watch us and they see what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, some places you hear that and you think to yourself again, I've gotta be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, my kids aren't going to receive Jesus. And if they don't receive Jesus, then they're not going to go to heaven. And I just ask you, is that the gospel? Is the gospel that we are perfect and therefore we go to heaven? Now, obviously the answer is no. We are not saved based on our performance. We are saved based on the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And that's what you want to communicate in the home, not law, grace and love. I know in our home when, when, uh, when Jennifer and I have to ask our girls to forgive us for something and you know they, their eyes get big and we say, will you please forgive me? And to see them, they just rush into our arms, their, their hearts just open up in that moment. And that's the picture, isn't it? That's the prodigal son and the father. That's the way that God receives us. That's the gospel. Live that out in the home, not perfection. We're all going to hell if we gotta be perfect. But live out the gospel of grace and love and kindness and mercy. And these are all challenging things as well. But do that and the soil of their heart will understand the gospel and hopefully will receive it. Third is, is similar to that. I would encourage you to culture, or uh, to cultivate a culture of the gospel in your home. Again, what have we learned that the gospel is? It is grace, God's unmerited favor towards us. It's love, God's self-giving for the good and joy of us. It is, it is mercy. Us, us not getting what we actually do deserve. It is service, Jesus serving us with his sacrifice on the cross. These are the things to be promoted in the home. Yes, a left handed layup is really great. And, you know, to, to, uh, to ace the ACT test, way to go. Okay, That's, that is really, really great. But better is for your kids to step into adulthood and for them to have these gospel virtues flowing out of a heart that is following Jesus. That's what you want, parents. Focus on those things. And as we apply the gospel in the home, our kids can get it then. Like, oh, yeah, that's kinda, so God to me is kinda like you to me. And then the ripple can happen in their life One book I read said, your family can show how great it is to live under God's reign of love. That's what you want. Grow them in, in that. Now, I got a quick word here for uh, people here that would like to create a generational gospel ris- uh, ripple, but there's no spouse yet. Or maybe there is infertility, like the video that we, that we watched And I want to encourage you that these kinds of ripples can happen without biological children. And we praise God for missional families who have, you know, adopted or who are fostering or in other ways investing in children for Jesus' sake. Praise God also for singles who love God and are serving children in really remarkable ways. You know, I'm a parent now, but the vast majority of my adult life, was single, no kids, and I, I know what that's like. It doesn't mean that we can't have an impact. You know, I, I was a youth pastor for a number of years, and I, I still see the, uh, my kids, and they're, you know, my former kids, and they're serving the Lord in various ways, and it's wonderful to see it. In fact, just this week, one outstanding girl from our youth group announced that she's gonna be a grandmother, and I was her youth pastor. <laughs> How has this happened? I don't know. But I just think if we ask God to use us as a rock that makes a ripple, we better then be ready for opportunities that God brings our way. Now let me give you an example of multi-generational ripple. And it has to do with the famous theologian Jonathan Edwards, arguably America's greatest theologian. There was a study that was done a number of years ago, and they compared the descendants of Jonathan Edwards with the descendants of uh, a guy whose name was Max Jukes. Okay, so Max Jukes was a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards. He was an atheist, and he married a, uh, described as an ungodly woman. Jonathan Edwards, loved God, married the deeply Christian Sarah Edwards, And so they did a study of the descendants of these two different families. So from the atheist Max Jukes, of his 540 descendants, 310 died as paupers, 150 were convicted criminals, there were seven murderers, and 190 female prostitutes. That's the family tree. From Jonathan Edwards... 1,394 descendants came an American vice president, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, and 100 preachers and missionaries. Don't tell me that Your faith can't ripple for a very long time. And indeed, our lives, they ripple beyond what we can know into eternity. And so today, we're honoring the moms, and we're challenging all the moms and all the dads and all the grandmas and all the grandparents to be the rock that makes the ripple that reaches into heaven itself like Lois, Eunice, Timothy. Only eternity will tell the story of the ripple, amen.